Season 2 of Vossa, storytelling and celebrating Pacific Island creators, thinkers and changemakers, proudly supported by the World Bank in the Pacific and PNG. This season, we continue tackling the big issues, sharing what makes us tick, what challenges us, and what the future looks like in the communities, countries and region we call home. I'm Merinella Tikau, your host in Suva, Fiji, excited to bring you conversations with some amazing Pacific humans. I want to make something cool, but at the same time, I want to learn more about my culture and try and put it in an interesting light, just try and put it in a new twist. I could remember, you know, being a little kid, five-year-old, foil, watching my grandmother do it and think, okay, this is, like, how exactly did she do it? And I think that does go back to who we are as Indigenous people, as Pacific people, where at our core, like, we are creators. And so I see a lot of my writing and other Pacific writers uh, through literature were, were reclaiming and revitalizing our identities and sometimes even our, our indigenous languages. This episode, we hear from creators about what drives them to create, how they nurture their creativity and self-expression, and what lies ahead in their creative journeys. Graphic designer and maker of cool things, Meli Tungota from Fiji, fashion designer from PNG, Annette Sete, poet, scholar, and creator, Dr. Craig Santos-Perez from Guam, and Mia Kami of Tonga, the young woman behind the powerful voice that opened this episode. What drives these people and their art? Welcome to Wasa, and stay listening. The thing about me that I like to think of myself is, I'm sort of like a jack-of-all-trades master of none. I guess that's the trade-off. Meli Tungata doesn't like podcasts. They're not his thing. He might not even listen to this one. But this Fijian creator casts his net wide as a lover and maker of cool stuff. I've always been a creative person, but just recently I decided to actually put that creativity to some use. That's the difference because, you know, every creative person, they always have a story. Yeah, I was always drawing. I When I was in Suva Grandma, I, I drew the cover for the school magazine. That was one of my shining moments. One of the one of the very few shining moments of my career in high school. Um, I drew the cover for the school, and so you know people were like, okay, this guy's going to be an artist, and I was like, okay, I'm going to be an artist. But then, uh, um, you know how life is, uh, it comes along and um, has other plans. In terms of like having this one uh, moment where you're like, you know, oh, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I actually never really had that. I enjoyed uh, drawing, uh, however horribly, you know, on my exam papers when I couldn't find the answer. Sorry, maths teachers. I was really bad at maths. I mean, who wasn't? And so one of the, you know, few times when I didn't know the answers, I just draw. I just draw. And so I was always doing these uh, creative things as a, as a sort of like an outlet. Melly built a career in graphic design, all while helping his creative peers make cool things. His very own project started closer to home. It never really occurred to me that I should be doing something for myself um, until recently when I was doing some research into Tongan Tapa just for, for the fun of it because my mom uh, had a lot of it and so I'd, I'd talk with her about it, she'd point to the different symbols and all. And then that's when I, I had this idea to try and make an animated short film using just Tapa designs. From, And so that uh, idea evolved into 
what became my first animated short film, uh, You the, the Choice of My Parents. Based on the poem by Konai Helu Thayman, Meli's film has screened at film festivals from Tahiti to New Zealand, Hawaii and Finland. Pretty cool for a first-time project. You can watch the film on Meli's website. We'll share the link on Vossa's Facebook page and in our show notes. It was from there that I realized, you know, all this time I've been generally creative, but not creative to, to, for a purpose, uh, and that purpose being to make something cool for myself. And that was the kick that sort of pushed me into overdrive to start, you know, okay, I, I got to put these creative juices to use. YouTubing, self-teaching and collaborating with friends, Meli has an approach that's worked for him. I'm lazy. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I'm a very, I'm a big nerd. So like I, I digest a lot of pop culture, comics, video games, movies. I love my movies. But I guess in that aspect of casting a wide net, that's sort of become my way of staying creative or being uh, inspired by different forms of media that I find entertaining. Self-deprecation aside, what Meli is working on now is the opposite of lazy. Type his name and his work comes up everywhere. The work that we're doing now on my next uh, animated short film, which is um, Solimbula, the story that sort of takes place in alternate reality Fiji where the missionaries uh, and the British didn't come to Fiji um, in the old days. And, and so we have a Fiji that sort of still uh, keeps its old uh, traditions and cultures, but bring it forth to the modern day. Because I think that this is something that Fijian people haven't seen. You know, they see a lot of their own culture as it is. I was wanting to put a, a kind of cool twist on it and you know, think about the stuff that we may have lost over the years thanks to westernization. Being the opposite of lazy means doing the unfun stuff too. Not just because it's cool, but because it's the right thing to do. The thing about um, productions, film production in general, whether it be animation or film productions, is that uh, A, it takes a lot of people to work on a project, and B, those people need to be paid, and so it, in, it's inherently an expensive project. No funding, no problem. The internet can be a beautiful thing. And so I turned to Kickstarter to fund this project. So we did a, a very intense one month of uh, fundraising. The Kickstarter plans were delayed by the 2021 cyclone. Then the pandemic re-entered the scene. Man, I, I got to tell you, the timing could not have been worse because we started just at the same time as the new COVID cases uh, started happening. So you've got this intense like face off of like me trying to put out news about the Kickstarter at the same time, people watching the, the new cases slowly, you know, slowly start to add up. And I'm like, oh, man, this is horrible. With multiple barriers, it'd be easy to put these plans on the back burner. Not for Team Solimbola. I was like, it's too late now. We're in it. Let's just let's just do it <laughs> and so i'm really glad and i'm really thankful for all the people who who saw the kickstarter who saw who saw the the video where i, I you know i laid out what the film was about i laid out who was working on the project and i laid out what uh, you know what our vision was for the film and i i'm really thankful that the kicks there were people who believed in the vision uh, and who believed in my, my uh, uh, abilities and believed enough to, to fund the project. Meli and team are now in the thick of making the film. It's full speed ahead now. This week we've had our production meeting. I've, I've, I've met with the art team. That's uh, Clarence Das, that's uh, Tui Lindua, um, that's Michael John and also uh, Vadin Lee. 
uh, my wife. Uh, they're all working on the project. Uh, I've also got Dave Lavaki, who's um, doing the, the Foley. He's just as, as excited to work on the film. He already did some tests, sounds, sound effects. And uh, we've also got uh, Inoke uh, Koloni Singer, Knox, a musician, who's uh, raring as well to go on the music. So, yeah, we're, we're rolling on this. If there's one thing about being creative in the Pacific, it's the need to create workarounds. The simplest things in major countries can require some acrobatic problem solving for Pacific creators. Thank goodness for friends and family in the Pacific diaspora for having our backs. In Meli's case, it was a friend and collaborator in Australia. I tell you, getting the money, uh, thank you, big uh, Vinaka to Nesau. She was our bank account holder for Kickstarter because Kickstarter doesn't recognize uh, you know, other, any other countries except for the, the major ones. Um, she offered her a bank account to collect the funds. And then once she collected the funds, then she sent it over. And just the whole sending it over was a huge endeavor in itself. I, I jokingly referred to it as uh, we, we were repatriating the funds <laughs> to Fiji. And so it, it finally arrived. And uh, we are now in the process of um, in the production. Hot tip for Pacific creators budget for transferring funds across borders. We have a long way to go to making moving money across borders as seamless, safe and affordable as it needs to be. To supporters of creators in the region and abroad, thank you. We see you and we appreciate you. If you're just finding out about them now, follow the Solimbula team and watch their work take shape on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Solimbula Film. All I wanted to do was to try and make some small gift items that I could take overseas to friends. In 2014, Annette Sete left her corporate job and noticed a gap in the PNG market. I was struggling to find little things that are made in Papua New Guinea, using Papua New Guinea products by Papua New Guineans and carry the Papua New Guinea story. So I decided, you know, why not do it? Annette's creative journey, fueled by her background in business, marketing and journalism, kicked into gear, working out of her home using local materials to make gifts and marketing them online. Then Annette spotted another avenue for growth. Then we got into garments and at the time there was next to nothing in terms of PNG local prints, local motifs on fabrics, you know, the type you see in Fiji and Samoa and the other Pacific countries. But in Papua New Guinea, we were lacking uh, in that area. So I found a gap in the market. Exploring the world of garment making, Annette decided she needed to change direction temporarily. I don't have a qualification as a fashion designer. It was more of hobby. Um, so I decided in 2018 to just close the business, you know, send my 10 stuff home, and then I packed my bags and went to Fiji to study fashion designing and technology. So that was, I guess, a bold move that was serious to get into that path, you know, get into doing uh, fashion designing and, and being able to run it as, as a proper business. As manager and creative director of Lava Girl and managing director of Marco Gifts, Annette and her growing team now work out of four locations, two in Kokopo, East New Britain, and two in Port Moresby. So to date, I have about 50 families that help me in this business, committed full time to running it as creative slash fashion and retail um, business. And there's a lot of learning, a lot of learning on my part to actually 
you know, create things, market things, and then run it as a proper business. But yeah, we've been in the business for almost seven years now and going strong. For a Papua New Guinean woman at the helm of her own creative venture, sure, being a creator has been enhanced by her own experience and learning. But Annette sees it as something that was always there, firmly rooted in her heritage. My grandmother from my uh, maternal side is from East Pacific province, is from uh, one of the big rivers in, in Papua New Guinea. And people there are naturally very creative. And so I grew up watching my grandmother making uh, what we call villas. Oh, these are decorations where you wear when you go to a festival, a show, you know, dance and culture, all of that. And um, throughout my career, I've gone back, um, you know, to the province and kind of try to understand how they make baskets, seeing it from the start, you know. And if I were to use any of those in any of my items like jewelries or headdresses or even on garments, how do I give? credit and honor to that item that's being used and valued in the culture and the people before me. Annette's natural flair, combined with her learned skills, has flourished with a third element, collaborating and working with PNG's rich and diverse visual artists. Currently, I am working with at least four artists and we do different things uh, like children's coloring books, which we are in production now. We're working with a couple of them on fabric prints and a couple more on uh, garments and stuff like that. There's always something new to learn and a new problem to solve, like her foray into graphic design, which is helping her maintain the integrity of her printed creations. I am able to do the designs and control the designs a little bit because we have you know, copyright infringements. Um, that are affecting our business and some of which we are in court at the moment. We're suing several big foreign companies that are copying our designs. Then there's learning new ways of working across geographical and language borders. There's a million back and forth with the factories and, you know, language barrier and all of that. So just being able to understand those things and do it properly resulted in a greater product in the market and dealing with fatigue and creative blocks. This year was terrible in that you just have this block that you're struggling to be creative. But I use Mondays uh, as a routine where I do a lot of uh, creative pieces because Mondays are very lazy and boring. And so I try to get on top of it by actually doing something, moving around, you know, playing around with paint or trying different things, looking at fabrics. Um, I use my family a lot in, is um, sort of bounce the creative ideas with them or the concept with them. It's, it's very casual. There's no pressure. I'm just in that moment. And, and they would tell me as it is. Or they will tell you, you know, in their, there's no sugar coating whatsoever. And if something or an idea or a concept is really good, they would tell you to. Also, if, if there is a design that's going to go on fabrics, I do bounce it or have a draft shown to selected staff members to just get a feedback. Is this going to work? You know, how, how do you think the market will take this? Um, so we do bounce ideas of uh, our staff as well. Marco Gifts and Lava Girl have come a long way and they are just hitting their stride. You can find them on Facebook, 
and celebrate them moving online as their following grows in PNG and across the Pacific. Check out links on Vossa's Facebook page and in our show notes. Our objective this year was to try and get as much produced now that we have four shops. So the effort and all focus is on production. But we have a show that we're doing in Port Moresby to launch a couple of new items and to also announce the fact that we're actually going online as a shop, uh, finally. On the other side of all this, I'll be looking out for Annette here in Fiji too. Speaking as, as a woman of the Pacific, I do think that the need for messages like the ones that we have that, that focus on Indigenous sovereignty and and telling our own stories, I do think that there is an appetite for it, that people are hungry and eager to hear their own stories being told from their own people. Mia Kami is the amazing singer-songwriter you heard at the start of this episode. That was her first single, Rooted, launched in July and now streaming on all platforms. Not bad for a young, proud Tongan woman soon to graduate from university. Don't get it twisted. Mia has been creating for a while. Since she was a child, processing her emotions after a life-changing loss. I had lost my older sister to cancer. She was 15 at the time and I was 10. And, um, you know, losing a loved one, it, there's a lot of emotions that come with it, you know. And, and being so young, I didn't know how else to articulate it. I didn't know how else to explain how I was feeling. And so the best I could do was write a song. Like, I, I didn't write a good one. <laughs> it wasn't a very good song. But um, it was something where I just, realized that it was this wonderful way that I could express myself and it was through music. I've seen Mia perform live and I'd be one of many to tell you she is a magnificent performer who I'm excited to watch continue to grow. My dad always told me you're there's always going to be someone else in the room that's better than you or there's always room for you to grow your practice to grow your art and so that's something that I I do try to keep in mind when like in my everyday life. I do admit like sometimes I I slack off a lot because, you know, like nurturing your art does, does take a lot of effort. Drawing from the processes of other artists and advocating for causes she cares about, Mia is documenting her ideas and grounding them in her lived experience. And that takes time. If I think of an idea for a song, I'll do it. Like I'll sit and I'll play something and I'll quickly try and get it done as fast as I can just to make sure that like the idea is there. The last thing that I want is to have this idea in my head and then I go back to it and then I don't remember it. So what I do like to do every day is try to come up with at least like two or three ideas that I can write around. And sometimes I won't come back to it for another like two, three months. And then when I do come back to it that time, um, it's something that I can write around. It starts with something deeply personal, an idea, a thought, an emotion, and documenting it but it's eventually got to find its way out into the public domain. Mia has been performing for longer than she's been writing songs. I was very young. Yeah, I'd say seven or eight, because uh, when my sister was sick, we would have people that would come home all the time. My parents would always ask us to sing, like myself and my older sister. My dad would, would say, it's like this gift that we have that we can use to kind of give back to people that came to visit. And if I'm being totally honest, I, I did not like it at the time. I just kind of thought like, why, why, why do I have to sing? I don't, I don't know why, um, why we're doing this. But these people came to see my sister. Of course, I was, I was very young, so I didn't really understand the whole reason why. As time went on, the discomfort of performing wore off. If someone had told me like 
10 years ago, oh, Mia, you're going to be okay performing in front of people. I would have been like, no, I don't think so. But then now it's it's something that I genuinely enjoy and it's something that I actually crave, especially in this time. Like I miss, I miss doing performances and gigs. Starting from a place of discomfort can actually drive your art. And for Mia, this proved true again when she stepped from the learned comfort of performing into the strange new world of the recording studio. I wasn't used to hearing myself in the studio and I always felt like my music had to be heard live. Otherwise, the the message wasn't going to be as clear or otherwise. But then I later realized like this is a necessary part of documenting your art and allowing it to to exist in spaces when I'm no longer around, you know? And um, I like to think that for me, it's always like the message is more important than anything else. There it is. Deciding on what matters to you, drawing your line in the sand and finding a reason, a cause, a purpose for putting yourself out there and growing as an artist. It's a process Mia found herself working through when choosing the five songs for her EP. I had to think about whether I wanted to be like an artist or whether I wanted the songs to be popular or whether I wanted the songs to be um, more focused on message. But then after that, I was I kind of thought about it again. I was like, no, but I have songs that are like closer to my heart that I care more about, that I would like to be heard more. All of them are kind of, I, I call them like my babies, like they're very close to my heart and a lot of care was put into writing them. The stakes have always been higher than just personal and creative growth and the enjoyment of listeners. Those are worthwhile goals in themselves. Creating can be its own reward. It can also expand and challenge people's horizons. That's why the message matters to Mia. Her first single, Rooted, actually began as part of her activism. I initially had written it for an anti-logging campaign in Papua New Guinea, but it kind of just sat there and so now I can, I finally took it on and I wrote it three years ago and it's finally being released. So I'm super excited. And I also have an EP that's coming out in August. The date specifically is yet to be confirmed, but it will be coming out in August. And there's also a music video. Rooted by Mia Kami is streaming on all platforms. And look out for the video on YouTube, as well as her EP. Links are on Voss's Facebook page and our show notes. The first day of my new high school, when I was 15 years old, uh, my family migrated from Guam uh, to California. And I remember feeling uh, very homesick and lonely as, as a new kid in school. And so, you know, during the lunch break, uh, since I didn't have anybody to talk to, I started writing a poem. And, you know, in that sense, poetry became a way for me to still feel connected uh, to my home island, even though I was, I was very far away. Dr. Craig Santos Perez is a poet, scholar and artist whose body of work spans books, spoken word albums, anthologies and more. A professor at the University of Hawaii Manoa, where he teaches creative writing, eco-poetry, and Pacific literature, he began creating as a homesick teenager who found a home in poetry. Poetry and literature uh, does bring bring my life so much joy and pleasure. Becomes where I can, uh, you know, write about about love and and happiness. Of course, at the same time, it, it's a place where I can also grieve and mourn you know, whether it's, it's from the loss of a loved one or from perhaps the, the loss of an environment, and we can really, um, 
reckon with all the emotions we experience as, as people, and especially as islanders. Craig has ventured into spoken word, fiction and nonfiction, even more recently sci-fi, with a story that I can't wait to read, titled The Forever Spam 2055. It's been a fun summer project right now. I was asked to write uh, something for a, a sci-fi and speculative uh, anthology. And the first thing I thought of was, you know, what happens if in the future, the, the only food left for us to eat is Spam. Uh, spam is very popular in Guam and, and here in Hawaii. And, you know, to some, a future with only Spam might be a dystopia. Perhaps for some like me who loves Spam, <laughs> it's a utopia. But either way, I wanted to just kind of explore that possibility in a short story. I couldn't think of anything more fun than writing for a living. My absolute dream job, book editor. I'd just about die happy. And guess what Craig's class gets to write about this coming semester? This coming semester, I'm teaching uh, two classes on food writing. So that's gonna be really fun because all we write about is food. We have a, a unit about spam. We're gonna write about like food culture here in Hawaii in the Pacific. Uh, we write about like colonial foods. We write about restaurants. And, and cooking and different kinds of recipes. Ultimately, my goal is to just get the students to, to be creative, to write as much as they can and to uh, express themselves as uh, creatively as possible. Growing up, I was never under the impression that I could write for a living. It was just something I loved to do. I was very lucky. My parents were very uh, supportive of, of anything I did. I think they realized that I was kind of a creative spirit and an artist. And so when I went to college, they didn't pressure me to uh, go into to business or to be a, a doctor or a lawyer or anything like that. And so that gave me the freedom to really you know, explore uh, art and literature. Now that I think about it, my parents would have supported whatever I chose to study. I just chose another path for a host of reasons and for limitations, both external and self-imposed. You know, it's hard to survive in the U.S. just as a poet. And so, you know, that's part of the reason why I, I continued my, my education. I got a PhD and, and now I'm a professor. And so that, that kind of pays the bills. And, you know, writing is still something I, I do um, kind of as my passion and my art, but it's, it's very difficult to make a living off of just, just the poetry. Ah, the day job. You are luckier than you deserve if you have one. Equal at first place for my dream job? Horror writer. Decades later, I found myself in the development industry, working in communications and public diplomacy. That involved its own kind of horror writing. Ha! Kudos to the day job. If you're lucky, it feeds your creativity. If you aren't, it adds to your disconnection. I asked Craig about the crippling self-doubt that many creators contend with. When I was writing, you know, my first poetry book, I was uh, living in San Francisco, so I was very, you know, also an urban uh, islander living on on the continent, and so you know, I definitely can relate to that uh, disconnection. But for me, poetry then became a way to to forge uh, a new connection, uh, you know, to my homeland and, and to the Pacific. Self doubt and feeling not good enough was something all the creators I spoke with acknowledged. I asked Craig how he deals with writer's block. 
feeling like, you know, I'm not uh, Chamorro enough because I no longer lived uh, on Guam. And, you know, that creeps into to the poetry and could often cause kind of a writer's block because, you know, you don't feel authentic enough. And my advice then, you know, both to myself as well as what I tell, you know, other either diasporic Chamorros or, or other young Pacific uh, artists and writers is to really write about those feelings. Imagine that, examining those feelings instead of running from them. And in Craig's case, watching them unfold in his work. My poems became really fragmented in terms of the language. You know, that to me kind of reflected my own fragmented identity. And it wasn't something that I felt like I had to feel ashamed of, but something that I had to uh, just be honest about because that's who I am and that was my, my experience as an Islander. As a writer, published author, and a teacher of writing, even Craig is not immune to writer's block. If I'm experiencing writer's block, uh, I'll read something. And, you know, mostly I, I turn to, to other Pacific writers. And so, you know, once I start reading and, uh, um, you know, getting absorbed into a poem or into a novel, uh, I'll start to get ideas. And being in, a, in another artist's language and just, you know, feeling their emotions and, and their experience, or if it's a, a novel, you know, reading about the characters, that usually, you know, kind of gets the, the fire going again and um, kind of gets me excited to, to return back to my own work. Being able to appreciate Pacific writers or even to access their work is hard in the islands, where bookstores are few and far between, and when you do find them, it's easier and cheaper to find a John Grisham novel than one by a Pacific writer. Craig is optimistic, though. I think we live at kind of an exciting moment for Pacific literature, where it is more accessible, more available, it is taught more, and it seems like people are, are valuing it as well. My work as an editor and a publisher is, is to kind of you know, put as much work out there as possible, uh, connect to people in different regions, you know, share the physical books with them. I, I've, I've donated to some libraries and to some schools. I've tried to create online resources as well. So, you know, for folks who can't afford to have books shipped to them um, and they're able to access the internet, they can at least uh, find some literature online. For those who maybe aren't uh, keen to read as much, I've also put together a, a playlist on YouTube where you can listen to, to many uh, Pacific artists throughout the region uh, reading their own work aloud. Watch out for Dr. Craig Santos Perez's book titled Navigating Chamorro Poetry, Indigeneity, Aesthetics and Decolonization, looking at how Chamorro writers used poetry to express their concepts of tomorrow, identity and decolonial politics. He's also finishing up an anthology called Indigenous Pacific Islander Eco-Literatures co-edited with Tongan writer Lee Carver and Marshallese writer Kathy Jetnil Kitchener about the environment with works on the ocean, land, flowers and trees. Around the region, artists are continuing to create in their own unique ways. Let's hear from some more creators we reached out to. As a creative person, I like to nurture this creativity uh, by taking a lot of walks in nature. 
also like to talk to strangers to to see where they're coming from and where they're going i like to chat with other artists on on social media as to what they're doing here in fiji and around the region and around the globe if you're a self-described lazy nerd who casts their net wide for inspiration but hates podcasts that's cool you could pull in a team of trusted valued collaborators who share your vision Check out Tungota.com and Vossa's Facebook page to keep track of the Solimbula film journey and to enjoy a random, brilliant assortment of inspiration. I try to hold back uh, judgment from whatever I do. And I find that nurtures the creative spirit in people by not judging what you make too much. It can be tough sometimes. The future of Pacific art involves connecting traditional knowledge with technology. It's so much easier today than ever before. If you're a creative entrepreneur, making tough choices, taking on new skills, adapting and collaborating, don't let anyone tell you that you can't turn a gap in the market into a business that helps other creators make a living. You've also got to appreciate how ridiculously vibrant PNG's visual arts scene is. My work is based around traditional stories as well as current issue. Uh, some of my work are also based on our environment around us. If you're an artist growing in your work, pushing through your own discomfort to carry a powerful message wrapped in the magic of music, here's to you. There'll always be someone better or more experienced than you, and that's okay. Yet no one will ever experience life the way you do. That's your superpower. Listen to Mia's Power Anthem Pact EP and shout out to amazing artist collectives like Rako Pacifica, who Mia credits with nurturing and collaborating with her over the years. My creativity is often enhanced when I'm exposed to new situations. So I try and read up or look at what other artists are doing during this global pandemic. If you're feeling like you're not real, authentic, representative enough, look, everyone starts somewhere. And that's the point, to look into the void and let it fuel you. Wherever you start from, start. Start by learning. Lose yourself in the work of other Pacific creators, giants of literature like Hawaiian Haunani K. Trask. Craig recommends her two collections of poems, Lights in the Crevice Never Seen and Night is a Sharkskin Drum. You can't tell a story without honoring and valuing the creators of our past and present. Storytelling may well come naturally in the Pacific as an everyday phenomenon, but it is a sacred one, invaluable. No single episode of anything could do justice to how essential Pacific creators are. But it's a start, and we're not stopping anytime soon. Join us next fortnight on Bossa when we talk about sex and relationships. How do we talk to each other about it? We hear from people in the region with passionate ideas on the subject. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on social media and share the podcast with your community. Until then, stay safe everybody and join the discussion on our Facebook page.